From Erie to Harrisburg, Greensburg to State College, this is Lincoln Radio Journal. On this edition, crime is spiking in cities across America, and Philadelphia is no exception. The failure of District Attorney Larry Krasner to aggressively prosecute criminals has prompted the state legislature to consider impeaching him. Todd Shepard of Broad and Liberty is here with details. It has been 20 years since gambling was legalized in Pennsylvania. Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi take a look at gaming revenues in the post-pandemic period on this week's Allegheny Institute report. And protecting our civil liberties begins with the unfettered right to free speech. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania explains why on this week's American Radio Journal Commentary. I'm Loman Henry, and welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. We'll get to Todd Shepard of Broad and Liberty in just a couple of minutes, but first, news headlines from patownhall.com. The Commonwealth Court of Pennsylvania has issued a preliminary injunction blocking the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection's entry into the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, or REGI. The regional compact, which would in effect impose a carbon tax on coal-fired power plants, was set to be implemented by regulation, despite opposition from the state legislature, which says only it can impose a tax. A number of stakeholders have sued, arguing the move is unconstitutional. The court's action puts implementation of Reggie on hold until the merits of the case are adjudicated. In the better late than never category, the new state budget was passed and signed into law by Governor Tom Wolfe about a week past the June 30th constitutional deadline. The new budget totals $45.2 billion and includes more money for public schools, $3 billion to begin addressing underfunding in the public school employees' retirement system, an increase for higher education, and more funding for intellectual disability support services. Notably, the budget includes a $125 million increase in funding for the Educational Improvement Tax Credit to provide students with more school choice options, and it begins a gradual reduction in the corporate net income tax. In a flurry of activity before adjourning for a two-month summer recess, the state legislature also queued up several proposed constitutional amendments. According to the Center Square, one would change elections to require voter ID. Another would amend the state constitution to read there is no right to taxpayer-funded abortion or any other right related to abortion. And another would allow candidates for governor to select their own running mate for lieutenant governor. The proposed amendments have a long way to go, however. They must pass the next session of the legislature in exactly the same form and then would go to a voter referendum for approval before they could take effect. Read about all things Pennsylvania at patownhall.com. Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner is one of a number of big city DAs whose soft-on-crime approach parallels a rise in violent crime. Now a move is underway in the state legislature to remove him from office. For a closer look at the situation, we turn to Todd Shepard. 
Todd is an investigative reporter with the online publication Broad and Liberty. Todd, welcome to Lincoln Radio Journal. Todd, as we look around the country and we have seen a rise in shootings and mass casualty events around the country, we saw regrettably what happened in Fourth of July, both in Illinois and in Philadelphia. Talk a little bit about this rise in violence. How severe is it as we look around the country? You know, Loman, I think everyone knows that that crime in general in the pandemic year of 2020 spiked, uh, especially in major municipalities across the country. This also happened in a lot of sort of, I guess you might call them mid-tier municipalities that people might not expect, like, say, Albuquerque or Santa Fe. I'm sorry to pick something halfway across the country. Those are just the kind of size that come to mind. But I think what's interesting from Philadelphia's perspective is, and I would need to double check this, but I feel relatively certain in saying that I believe the number of homicides last year in 2021, which was 562 in Philadelphia, that surpassed the raw number of homicides in New York City. Of course, New York is three times or however many times bigger than Philadelphia. So that gives you a, a, a sense of the scope that Philadelphia is, is absolutely dealing with, everybody's dealing with this problem. The problem is exacerbated in Philadelphia, and it just feels like every new week there is some other crime that has residents asking, is this the tipping point? Is this the inflection point? But it still never seems to be reached. Concurrent with this rise in crime, maybe even because of what we're about to talk about, we've had this rise in crime. We have around the country seen a lot of district attorneys, Todd, who have been elected, many of them supported by the left, including George Soros and other left-wing funders. We have these district attorneys who are not enforcing the law, even as we have it. And that does also pertain to Philadelphia, does it not? It does. Uh, Currently, Philadelphia District Attorney Larry Krasner, essentially earlier this year, they said, The office said, so I can't attribute this to a particular individual, but the Philadelphia Inquirer quoted the office as saying, we do not believe that arresting people and convicting them for illegal gun possession is a viable strategy to reduce shootings. That sounds outrageous on its face. It may not be quite so outrageous when people understand that oftentimes when when, when guns are used for illegal purposes you know, to commit crimes or so forth, the the guns are rarely legal or the person owning them rarely has the legal right to, to have the gun or that they went through the necessary legal loopholes. But it still raises an interesting issue about the overall jurisdiction and the overall discretion of Larry Krasner. So, for example, when I say that that, that statement is outrageous on its face, to most people, uh, but there's a, a more nuanced debate behind it, there, there still is a, a real debate. For example, we host on our website the former Philadelphia district attorney, Seth Williams. Seth writes for us twice a month, and, and he has argued on many occasions that if Krasner would reverse this discretion and start arresting people for illegal gun possession and so forth, that it would result in, in a decrease in crime and a decrease in homicides. For people who want to really get into the the nuts and bolts of this. I think Reason Magazine has a great breakdown on this. So if you just Google Larry Krasner Reason Magazine, you'll you'll find an article called 
Philadelphia's DA sees little value and much injustice in gun possession arrests. Again, I'm not bringing this up because I agree wholeheartedly with the the article or anything. I just bring it up because um, there are a lot of different angles to look at this, and it, it provides a lot of insight. For example, some of the kinds of gun crimes that one can be arrested for in Philadelphia, one would only get a misdemeanor charge in any other county in Pennsylvania. And so one of the things Larry Krasner argues is that can't be a just law if it's a felony in Philadelphia and a misdemeanor in any other county in Pennsylvania. And uh, look, again, without agreeing or disagreeing with that statement, I think there's a debate can be had about that. Speaking of Larry Krasner and district attorneys, we recently, just a few weeks back, had a district attorney in California recalled and removed from office because I believe it was San Francisco. Crime is out of control. He was failing to prosecute, let alone prosecute aggressively. In Pennsylvania, of course, Todd, we don't have a recall law. Larry Krasner reelected about two years ago as district attorney. So with all that in place, we're now looking at a potential impeachment. How does that happen and where does that stand? The impeachment process begins in the Pennsylvania House. People who have followed this may remember that the the impeachment process actually started with Senator Jake Corman, who a couple of days after he announced he was running for governor, he sent a letter to the top leadership in the Pennsylvania House and said, please start the impeachment process. And I think that actually Looking back, I think Mr. Corman might have done that differently if he had to do it again. Because he sent that letter a couple of days after he announced his intention to run, a lot of people said, oh, it's a political stunt. I don't think it was. I think he genuinely meant it, but people were able to portray it like that because of the way it happened. So now that Mr. Corman is obviously not the nominee for governor of from the, the Pennsylvania Republican Party, it appears now that impeachment has some legs. And so Some members of the Pennsylvania House, uh, a lot of them are actually from counties in the far west portion of the state, but still they have some some Republican support in Philadelphia, for example, Representative Martina White. The process that those members have to take in the House, they have begun that process now. So they have introduced the first bit of legislation, quote unquote. It's actually called a memo. Um, There will be some evidence gathering and it will start, it will then go to a committee but it, it only needs to pass a simple majority in the House before it would go to the Senate. Impeachment in, in Pennsylvania works very much like it works in, in, on a federal level. So it's very easy for people to just sort of conceive of it as the same, same thing. And so that impeachment process is underway. I assume there really is no other way since Larry Krasner is an elected official to bring pressure upon him in any official way to bear here? The only other thing would be just good old-fashioned public pressure, right, where where you have a mayor say, this is untenable, and your funding, we will not cooperate with you on funding issues. And to have a city council that would say, you, you have to step down, you, you, are, you are politically radioactive until you leave office. But obviously, we're nowhere near that being the case in Philadelphia. The story we did recently at Broad and Liberty was, we went to all of the city council members. We went to the mayor's office. We went to state representatives and senators who have jurisdiction in Philadelphia. And we asked about the illegal gun prosecution stance of Larry Krasner that we just spoke about a couple of minutes ago. And we asked them, do you still support, do you support that? 
A, and B, if you if you did support that, do you still support it? Again, given that the crime rate continues to escalate, we only got two responses: the mayor and one city council person. And quite honestly, when they talk about these things, they never name Larry Krasner by name. It is amazing to me in the the couple of years that I have reported on Larry Krasner, the way that people in Philadelphia, elected officials, persons of power, the way they are afraid to name Larry Krasner by name if they have a disagreement with him, uh, it's frankly unlike I, – I, I can't really uh, – I have trouble coming up with an analogy to even compare it to anything. It, it's amazing. Well, it appears that uh, the mayor himself is ready to throw in the towel and uh, ride off into the sunset. But that is a whole other story. We have been talking with Todd Shepard. He is an investigative reporter with Broad and Liberty. Todd, tell us a bit about Broad and Liberty and where can folks go to read this fine publication? Well, thanks very much for that, Loman. It's so easy to remember, broadandliberty.com. Uh, on Twitter, follow us at Broad and Liberty. Our publication, we try to give voice to a myriad number of voices that we feel can't be heard in the Inquirer anymore. That includes voices on the right and even voices on the left that are still shut out of the Inquirer or other mediums in Philadelphia or in the Southeast. And for my job as an investigative reporter, uh, I try to look into some of those things that we feel the Inquirer might not be all that interested in. Or, or other kinds of news uh, that might otherwise escape the mainstream media in Philadelphia and Southeast Pennsylvania. So we'd appreciate anyone that checks us out at broadandliberty.com. Todd Shepard of Broad and Liberty. Todd, thank you for being here. Thanks, Loman. With more casinos and the advent of online gambling, revenue from gaming has bounced back from COVID-19 pandemic restrictions. Frank Gamrat and Eric Montardi parse through the numbers on this Allegheny Institute report. Hello and welcome to the Allegheny Institute report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. I'm Eric Montardi. Joining me today is the executive director of the Allegheny Institute, Frank Gamrat. Your recent piece talked about gaming. And hard to believe, Frank, it's been almost 20 years since gaming has been legalized in this state. And your work has documented how... There's been many, many additional forms of gaming. I don't know if we've come to the end here, but you have a a piece that you put together Mm -hmm. showing what has gone on in 2021, how things have bounced back from the pandemic with all these various forms of gaming. Today, we want to give our our listeners a, a synopsis, an overview of what's happened in 2021, but let's start with the oldest Mm -hmm. form of gaming first, and that's slot machines. As most people will recall, in 2004, the state legalized casinos and slot machines. And of course, it was under the guise of, well, it's going to reduce your property taxes. So it was property tax relief as the slot machine revenues are taxed at a rate of 56%, give or take, of which 36% goes off into the property tax relief fund. Part of the problem is that while the, the gaming revenues had been very consistent for the last number of years, we'll get to the numbers in a second, school taxes have gone up. So as far as a property tax relief measure, I think we can say that one has failed fairly miserably in providing any ostensible relief. But the numbers, it's really funny because in 2021, slot machines had a gross terminal revenues of $2.29 billion. 
in 2021. Right across 16 casinos. The highest point in, in of slot machine revenues occurred in 2012 when they hit $2.47 billion with 11 casinos. So the question is, what happened there? You know, it, it's consistent, right? It's been fairly consistent, but we gained, we had more in 2012, 20, uh, 10 years ago almost. And part of it is when the pandemic came around, they got rid of slot machines because they were spaced them farther apart due to social distancing and the like. And you had the number Number of uh, slot machines in play in 2012, there were t- over 25,000 slot machines in play uh, on average per month. They went down like 18,500 during the pandemic, and now they're crawling back up to that number of 25, 26,000. But again, only because we added four new casinos in the last couple of years. The state has, as you mentioned earlier, keeps going with new forms of gaming. And they also came up with new forms of casinos. You know, there were the 10 main casinos and then the two resort casinos. And now they put out 10 licenses for mini casinos. And four of those mini casinos have started up. And there's still six licenses out there that need to be purchased and built upon. So it may not be over yet with a number of casinos in play. When you look at the slot machines, the casinos that had been around for a long time, None of them came back to pre-pandemic levels. The, the amount of revenues that they had, had received were a little bit lower. Philly Parks is the best casino. It's like 3% down in Rivers, I think, or 4% down in the Meadows. Or Washington County was like 20 down, 20% down. So the, the traditional casinos didn't rebound. It was mostly because of new casinos. You mentioned traditional levels of, of gaming and table games. I'm going to call them casino-based because in the meanwhile, internet gaming has kind of superseded and taken taken over the second place mantle of gaming revenues for for the state. Slot machines are still king of the hill. Internet gaming has come on strong and largely in part to the pandemic. Prior to the pandemic, they were only getting like three to nine million dollars a month. In 2022, the data goes through May, they're getting $111 million per month internet. Now internet gaming consists of internet slots, internet tables, be blackjack or poker or roulette, you know, those types. And so it really has become the second leading source of gaming revenues uh, in the state. Regular table games has just taken a back seat, but it is still done well. Internet gaming, we topped a billion dollars in 2021 for total revenue. And in 2022, I'm predicting it's going to exceed about $1.3 billion in internet gaming revenues. It hasn't surpassed lots. It's got a ways to go, but it's become the second most popular form of gaming, uh, passing regular table games. That being said, regular table games has pr- proceeded to, to increase rather nicely. Started at $600-some million when they first debuted in 2011 for the year. At the end of 2021, they were $924 million, so just shy of a billion. And I figure going into 2022, it's going to be another year where it's going to be close to a billion dollars, but but not quite. So, Frank, you've given our listeners an idea there of these different forms of gaming that have come online and in 2021, how they performed. So to sum it all up, what does that mean for the state? What does it mean for the taxpayers? What does it mean for Pennsylvania as a whole? We've increased the types of gaming that are being taxed. Uh, in addition to internet gaming, you also have sports wagering, which has its ups and downs, you can imagine, given the various seasons. Fantasy gaming, you have what we call video gaming terminals, which they put up at truck stops. So there's a couple extra. So when you look at gaming in total, in 2011, we only had slot machines and table games. For the year, it was $3.03 billion in total gaming revenues. Now that's a big number. 
and it stayed at $3 billion. It was in that range for a while. And in 2018, they put in the fantasy contest. In 2019 is when we had the most gaming editions, and we had $3.4 billion. In 2021, thanks to the rise predominantly of internet gaming, total revenues hit $4.73 billion. That's a heck of a jump from pre-pandemic to, to now. And I'm projecting that given what we've seen for the first five months of 2022, I think total revenues from all sources of gaming are going to top $5 billion this year. Now, that's a heck of a of a thing to say. And then, of course, considers that the economy moves the way it's been moving with the high inflation and there's no crash, there's no uh, recession, which would take money out of people's hands. So if all things remain the same, $5 billion. Now, one of the things to consider when they first brought in gaming in, in 2004 it was under the guise of, well, we want to keep Pennsylvania gamblers in Pennsylvania. And oh, by the way, let's draw in the gamblers from Ohio and Maryland and New York because they don't have it. Well, guess what? Ohio has gaming and Maryland has gaming. West Virginia has gaming. New Jersey, of course, has gaming. New York's the only one. Only the native tribes are allowed to do gaming in New York. But most of that money is coming from Pennsylvania gamblers. If it falls flat for some reason, then there's going to be holes in people's budgets and they're not going to say, well, let's cut spending to fill it. They're going to try to raise taxes elsewhere to fill it. So I think we've gotten to a point where maybe we've gotten too dependent on gaming proceeds to get, get through. And, and I would say you need to be careful. Every dollar spent at the gaming table in the casino or online is with all you can't go to the movie theater with or a restaurant with. So it's money that's being taken out of other areas of the economy. And of course, we've never mentioned uh, addiction and whatnot that needs to be accounted for. So it's it's an industry that has really come along in Pennsylvania, but one that we need to be careful of and kind of keep it at arm, arm's length. Great stuff as always, Frank. Thank you. And we encourage our listeners to visit our website, www.alleghenyinstitute.org, to read this brief and to read archives. For Frank Gamrat, this is Eric Montardi, and this has been the Allegheny Institute Report on the Lincoln Institute Radio Journal. Free speech is essential to liberty, and the Supreme Court of the United States has made significant rulings upholding that right. Ashley Klingensmith from Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania talks about it on this Lincoln Radio Journal commentary. On March 2nd, Americans for Prosperity Foundation filed an amicus brief in support of Coach Joseph Kennedy. The Kennedy case, popularly known as the Praying Coach case, asked how government can regulate the personal expression of the people it hires. In our brief, we raise the point that subject to certain narrow limitations, speech rights of public employees are protected by the First Amendment. The power of government to speak on its own behalf and the authority of a government employer to manage its own operations are cabined by the First Amendment's prohibition against conditioning public employment on surrendering constitutional protections. Well, as we last discussed, the U.S. Supreme Court did issue a 6-3 decision on June 27th that protects free speech for all, ruling that free speech does not end when people work for the state. 
The ruling shows that the category of regulable government speech is very narrow and the realm of protected speech is very broad. Across the 35 Americans for Prosperity chapters throughout the nation, our staff is working to build a movement of people who will scale their voice to protect civil liberties and promote civil debate. We have six specific categories of protections we feel need greater emphasis in society, from community public squares to state capitals to academic institutions and beyond. First, we must defend free speech on college campuses. Free expression and academic freedom are the fundamental building blocks of the university. These freedoms clear the way for students and scholars to engage with new ideas and with each other. Both are essential for learning, debate, and discovery. Second, we must protect protest rights. The right to protest our government is a hallmark of America. People have the right to peacefully and powerfully stand alongside others to express their beliefs. Third, we must preserve people's privacy. People shouldn't have to choose between speaking out and staying safe. The ability to maintain privacy makes it possible for people to advocate for causes they believe in. Fourth, we must preserve the ability to freely express ideas online. Technology has made it possible for people, more than any time in human history, to say what they think and build an audience for their views. Applying the principles of free speech to the digital world allows people to fully realize the benefits of online innovations. Fifth, we must have the freedom to exercise religious liberties. Freedom of belief, conscience, and religious exercise is vital to people's ability to live out their beliefs and society's chance to grow and thrive. And sixth, we must cancel, cancel culture. Free speech doesn't begin and end with the First Amendment. Civil liberties protect people from government censorship, but other factors can silence people. For our country to meet and overcome the challenges it faces, we must embrace a culture willing to take on challenging discussions with both courage and respect. Civil liberties are the solution to uncivil times. The great 19th century statesman Frederick Douglass wrote on the eve of a civil war that liberty is meaningless where the right to utter one's thoughts and opinions have ceased to exist. Our divisions today, while serious, are not that extreme. But it is a critical moment for free expression and ensuring the protection of civil liberties remains the surest solution to uncivil times. One of America's greatest strengths is the ability to self-correct, to recognize when the country has contradicted its ideals, then to act collectively to correct the injustice. Essential to that process is the protection of individual rights, for only when each of us feels secure enough to act can we act together in defense of each other. Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom, wrote Benjamin Franklin, and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech.
to join this conversation and scale your voice to lawmakers, please visit www.action.americansforprosperity.org. I'm Ashley Klingensmith, State Director with Americans for Prosperity Pennsylvania. Find us on Facebook by searching at PAAFP and on Twitter by searching at AFP Pennsylvania. If you miss hearing Lincoln Radio Journal on your favorite radio station, audio of our complete program is available on our websites, lincolnradiojournal.com and lincolninstitute.org. For 27 years, Lincoln Radio Journal has been heard on public affairs-minded radio stations throughout the Commonwealth, including WPXZ-FM and WKQL-FM in Punxsutawney, along with WWBE-FM and WFYY-FM in Sealands Grove, Pennsylvania. The Lincoln Radio Journal is produced weekly by the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. The Lincoln Institute is completely funded through the generosity of individuals, corporations, and philanthropic foundations, including the Allegheny Foundation of Pittsburgh, the Houston Foundation of Coatesville, and the Pennsylvania Manufacturers Association, all of whom have helped to underwrite the costs of this program. Lincoln Radio Journal is a trademark of the Lincoln Institute of Public Opinion Research, Incorporated. Comments and opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Lincoln Institute or of this radio station. From the Lincoln Broadcast Center in Harrisburg, I'm Loman Henry. Thank you for listening to Pennsylvania's most widely broadcast public affairs radio program, Lincoln Radio Journal, plug into the pulse of Pennsylvania.